the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, December 28th, as we head into Hour 3. It is a delight to welcome back, really, one of my favorite political commentators and analysts, Ariel Davidson. Her work has appeared in The Federalist, The Washington Examiner, The National Interest. She is uh, prolifically <clears throat> writing on Twitter, at Political L, Political E-L-L-E is her um, handle at Twitter. Ariel, um, is it too soon or too late to wish you a happy new year? It's been too long. I, I'm not sure uh, if I can say happy new year just yet, but happy new year. Happy New Year, the longest year ever. <laughs> longest year ever. I know. That's maybe a good idea to put a wrap on it and say Happy New Year already, right? <laughs> right. I was making the case, though, actually earlier. You know, everyone uh, suffered this year. I mean, it was just universal. Uh, but we have a duty not to focus in some ways too terribly much on it. Um, we have a duty of gratitude. We have a duty of not thinking um, the worst because it can always be worse. Soldiers know that. Survivors of terrorist attacks know that. People, you know, truly uh, who have been accident victims. There's a lot, a lot of things that could be worse. And I and I hate focusing on on the kinds of stuff that um, that we all went through. On the other hand, we we've got to do something to fix this and get a grip on ourselves, don't we? We do. You know, I think you're right. It's important to put 2020 in perspective. You know, if you have grandparents who lived through World War II right. and whatnot, you know, there's obviously been times in history where things have been difficult. I think what's particularly frustrating right now is that it seems as if the government, and I would say on the state and local level in particular, has played an enormous role in sort of perpetuating people's suffering uh, in a way that's, you know, highly unscientific, if I may use it. Yeah. It's not... Maybe perhaps the correct adjective. No, no, no. I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, in a highly unscientific manner, uh, and in a way that, you know, actually hurts people moving forward. And and it's and I would say it's unprecedented from that standpoint because we are a country that values individual liberties. We are a country um, that values sort of a relationship between ourselves and our government, where our government is somewhat answerable to us. And it seems we've we've lost that, uh, and that's particularly frustrating yeah it is and all the while you and i will will talk ourselves or write ourselves blue in the face talking about the unscientific nature of it all the while fighting against those who claim to be acting in the name of science it reminds me a little bit of that great old leo strauss essay talking about uh, germany in the 1930s uh speaking of uh, mo- uh moderation and wisdom at its least moderate and least wise moment <laughs> that's that's kind of the way I, I you know i'm not putting us as 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 berlin or germany in 1930s but just this notion that you can have two people looking at science and one shaming one side shaming the other for not being scientific when indeed by any, I think, objective measure, you can look at what is being asked of us, demanded of us, and enforced on us, flying in the face of, of, of science for those that want to see it, including including discovering that the lead scientists lie to us and admit that they lie to us. I give you Anthony Fauci and his latest uh, numbers on herd immunity, right? 
that and the fact that those who are purporting to, you know, put these restrictions in place in the name of science aren't really willing to follow them, you know, those restrictions themselves. So whether it be, you know, Governor Newsom having a private dinner party at French Laundry in San Francisco, um, or if it's uh, Dr. Burke traveling to see her family over Thanksgiving, these are all things that we told were for, we were told were forbidden. We were told it was in our best interest to follow these rules. And, you know, I'm, I am all in favor of rules if they are science-based and if they make sense. But if they all begin to feel, you know, incredibly arbitrary, then that's where it becomes a problem. And, you know, there are laws, for instance, that are that are arbitrary in some ways, right? Think about driving at 16 or right, right, drinking at 21. Right, right. There's always, there's always an arbitrary right. element. So right. it's not wholesale that arbitrariness is the problem. It's just that there is a sweet spot for that. And when it becomes abundantly clear that not only are the rules not grounded in science, but even those who are putting them upon us are not willing to follow them, that's when questions are raised, right? In a big way, there's so much to this. And let me throw this in on the Newsom and um, and other examples. Uh, Heritage put out a list of something like 50 examples of, of, of these public leaders that have called for harsh uh, uh, remedi- remediation measures and didn't abide them. And I, I'm 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 putting that in the category of lies too. I credit um, Adam Carolla for pointing this out. Maybe it's obvious. I don't know, but he said the hypocrisy of it is one thing. But there's another level of this where they're basically telling us they're lying to us because that tells us they don't believe what they're saying. They don't believe it's as bad as what they're telling you to believe. For if they did, they would not do X, Y, and Z the way they tell you you can't do X, Y, and Z, right? For example, if travel was such a bad idea um, because it was so dangerous, then the mayor of Austin wouldn't have traveled. But he obviously didn't think it was that bad of an idea for him. Right. Well, I also think perhaps I would even add a finer point to it. Mm -hmm. You know, perhaps if everyone were engaging in that level of travel, then that would be potentially (laughs) right. But I think it's, it's, it's the fact that they have decided they've anointed themselves as the few privileged individuals who are able to, you know, that's sort of the principle of herd immunity, right? Not right. everyone, when you think about vaccines in general, right? Not everyone has to, to get a vaccine, but the vast majority should. Right. And then sort of you have the freeloaders that if they don't get the vaccine, they'll still be protected because herd immunity will be achieved. Think of that with these types of rules, right? It's, it's possible, I would say, that if everyone were traveling, you know, there would be a danger of transmission. Um, but they've decided that they're the select special individuals. Yeah, yeah. No, that's granted f- the yeah. opportunity to uh, benefit from the rest of us right. sacrificing or to get their hair done or to go to a restaurant. Right. Exactly. Right, because we're the ones that are behaving and so they, right. you know, they get to benefit from our good right. behavior. Right. Right. And reap the rewards of their own, you know, their own misbehavior. No, that's a very good point. And there's another element to this too, which is um, the dismissal of the position that I assume I, I, I'm pretty sure you and I are on the same side of based on, on, on everything I've heard you say and what you've written. Um, the other element is the dismissal of us in the sentence that you see a lot of public leaders saying that there are two extremes, uh, those that believe in the harshest of shutdowns and those that believe COVID is a hoax. I don't know anyone who believes it's a hoax. I just think that is such baloney. I I, I want to say a word stronger than baloney, but I think that is a that is an overwrought, extreme statement based on no evidence. 
I would agree. And I, I haven't met one person that thinks the virus right. is a hoax. Me neither. I have met many people. And you and I travel <laughs> in, a, in a world where... We've traveled. Yeah. Maybe yeah. We've traveled <laughs> right. Circles. right. Right. The Claremont circles. Maybe we, yeah. Right. Okay. So right. maybe it's, maybe our opinion is or is. We travel in a world that knows who Leo Strauss is. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was going to say there's a Strauss essay for every situation. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, I think you know. So maybe my opinion is superfluous in that regard. But I do think what you're what you're saying is correct. Is that there? I haven't met one person that has said this virus is a hoax. But I have met people who will sit down and say, you know, what are what are the long term costs? Are we trading lives right, here when right. it comes to people having cancer screenings, right. cutting them off, when right. it comes to increase in suicide? Right. Are we, you know, what kind of lives are we trading? There's not one life rhetoric where we went from 15 days to slow the spread to not one life lost to COVID. Right. You know, originally the whole purpose of quarantine was that, you know, we weren't going to, we didn't want to overflow our hospitals. Well, now we've reached the point where we don't want anyone to get infected. Right. Okay, that's fine. Um, but, but. The end, let's be honest that that's, that that's, I mean, it's not fine, but let's accept that, that that's the shift that's taken place. Well, we should be honest about that. Or our leaders should be honest about that um, because it's very hard, you know, and, and it's frankly, it's an unrealistic objective. But we can talk more about that as well. Yeah, I want to because I hesitated early on in April. I think I ended up putting it in a piece I wrote with Bill Bennett, but we kind of debated whether we could say it so starkly, which was, when you look at how we've handled other epidemics, other pandemics, other diseases, uh, it turns out COVID was a very privileged disease indeed. To wit, I'm old enough to remember uh, when three years ago we were pulling our hair out over drug overdoses in America. And you get the story that we had out of San Francisco last week that six times the number of San Franciscans, which has been particularly hard hit by COVID, six times the number of San Franciscans have died of drug overdoses than COVID this year. Who gives yeah. a damn about that That's, anymore? I saw that as a former San Francisco resident. Yeah, you know the story. I, I had uh, Sandberg on to talk about it. You know her work. Okay. Erica Sandberg. Um, right. Exactly. So. Are we ever going to talk about that again? Are we going to talk about uh, substance abuse and relapse? Are we going to talk about depression and suicide? Are we going to talk about obesity, for God's sake, which is a huge part of this? Can I keep you a little while? you got to run. Can I keep you a little longer? Yeah, no, definitely. Keep I'm, me on. Okay, thank you. We're talking to Ariel Davidson. Follow her on Twitter, please. Um, you want to be smart? You follow Ariel. Political at Political L. At Political L. And L is E-L-L-E. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have Ariel Davidson with us, one of my favorite political commentators. Her writings appear everywhere important from The Federalist to The Washington Examiner, National Interest, and she is uh, an active uh, writer on Twitter, at Political L. Ariel, right before the break, um, in talking about um, responses to COVID, there's so much that you said in your opening comments, and I want to unpack some of that, too. For example, um, older generations who you had said, you know, they'd been through tough times, tougher times, World War II, uh, periods since World War II, maybe even in the 60s in some respects. But none of them were self-imposed. That's the weird distinction here, right? They weren't. World War II wasn't self-imposed. We didn't do that to ourselves. 9-11, we didn't do that to ourselves. Uh, this we're doing to ourselves, and we're ignoring an awful lot of fallout 
um, from it that I don't think we're wrong to keep highlighting. Um, I had a physician friend of mine, I brought her on the show early on, who wrote to public health officials saying, help me out here because I go to the store and see dozens of obese shoppers don masks and gloves to protect their health while they fill their carts with soda chips, frozen pizza, and processed foods that are far more deadly uh, than what they are at risk of um, if they weren't obese and in the age of COVID because there is an abundance of other CDC guidelines regarding exercise, healthy weight, cancer screening, mental health, right, that we we just threw out the window all of a sudden. Right, and I have a tough time believing that a restaurant that has a limited capacity that's observing all of the guidelines that have been put forth, you know, separating people from different tables, maybe improving their ventilation, engaging in sanitation practices, I have a tough time believing that that is, in, is 10 times more dangerous than the hundreds of people that jostle by each other in the grocery store, pick up fruit, put fruit down, um, you know, either or right next to each other within inches of each other frequently. Uh, you know, you may spend 40 minutes inside the grocery store. Who knows? But I have a tough time believing that we need to. There are certain cities that have banned indoor dining. Yeah. And because of the weather, outdoor dining is impossible. Right. And so you end up in a situation where, again, you have grocery stores, department stores open and allowing tens or dozens or hundreds of people to jostle by one another. But somehow a restaurant that might allow only 20 people, that is incredibly more dangerous. I just, I find that metric Right. And it's a Um, weird one because it immediately puts several hundred thousand people out of of work in New York alone, in just New York alone, which, again, leads to these other conditions um, we have ignored or shunted aside, aside from unemployment, which is bad enough. It's weird what we went after. That industry, which has a one percent perhaps spread. You you know my friend. I know you know him. I, I I know you've done work with my friend Zudi Jasser. He's um I bring him in here once a month to talk COVID stuff with his medical hat on, and I was asking him about uh, the gyms that you know were closed uh, for so long, and some still are in other states. And I said, talk to us about that as a vector for the disease. And he said, I guess I missed the class in medical school where they taught us working out and exercise to maintain health was a problem for your health. He 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 was right. he was he was dramatically he's opposed to the closing yeah. of gyms. Yeah, yeah, and it's. I mean, do you remember when that report came out of New York where they did contact tracing and they determined that just over one percent of all cases could be tied to restaurants, yeah. but around seventy-five percent were tied to living room spread. And right. so, of course, closing down all restaurants and forcing people into living rooms right. seems right. like the logical response. Right. Again, it's not. These aren't logical steps that are being taken, and I am someone that believes that there are steps that we can take to mitigate the sure, spread of course. within reason, we should be doing that. But these steps are not ones that really logically make any sense to me. Uh, and it's really disheartening because, like you said, you're seeing people lose their livelihood. You're seeing people lose their sense of purpose. Yep. Um, you know, when I was 18 and, or eight, 17, 18 years old, I used to work on a suicide hotline yep. uh, for the Samaritans organization. It's a great organization if anyone's ever interested in helping people with mental health issues. Anyway worked on the hotline, and one of the number one causes of people calling in, this was after a few years after um, the market collapse in 2008, and the number one reason people called at the time, or number two reason, was job loss. Mm-hmm. Job loss gives yep. people a sense, you know, jobs yep. give people a sense of self-worth. You when you take that away, you, you can send people spiraling into uh, a sense of depression, especially if they're the breadwinner for their family. 
especially if they have multiple people relying upon them. I mean, it's 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 horrible, and there's been no real recognition of that. Um, now, that I've now add yanking children out of their well-established social and learning environments. And I'll add social again, social and learning and social environments, yanking them out of it and poising them against one another, family against one another, immediately changing everything they know for a disease that won't affect them. Right. And And this is something that, you know, we had talked about a little bit earlier, Everything we do carries risk, right? Right. And yeah, this is I was. Something well, I I was yes, thank you. Every, yeah, we were going to get to. The, yeah, now's a good no, point. No, no. Everything now's we a, do yeah. carries risk. Yeah. Um, and so there's a sense that you know we should behave as if we can engage in activities without any risk, and that's just impossible. If you, as I, you know, tweeted earlier today, if you don't want to get in a car accident, you don't drive. Well, that's not really reasonable. And so every day we, you know, we commuted to work. We decided it was worth taking on that risk if it meant we needed to go to work. We could raise the driving age to 18 tomorrow, but we've decided as a country that it's more important to have 16-year-olds be more you know, engaged economically in our ecosystem than if they didn't have a car. But again, we'd probably save 30,000 lives. Right. I don't know the exact number, sure. but it's, it's in the tens of thousands of like, yeah. teenage lives if we decided to raise the driving age. But collectively, we decided that's not a risk. We're, you know, that's, not, that's a risk we're willing to take. Mm-hmm. And for some reason with COVID, we just aren't engaging in the same sort of, um, you know, nuanced discussions and examinations of long-term consequences that we do with nearly every other law or rule or regulation. That's right. That's right. And again, if I don't overuse the meme, I'm old enough to remember when social science was all aimed in the area of youth and education of something called a phrase called less screen time. I remember that argument, too. Less screen time was the ideal. Instead, instead, more screen time. More screen time is the answer here uh, in, in, in children's education uh, since so, what, about March 18th or so of this year? But you do make that point, and you make it well. You tweeted, the best way to avoid a car accident is to never drive. The best way to avoid COVID is to never see people. Neither is realistic, but people seem convinced the latter is possible. I give you California and that great Politico headline over the weekend. As cases increase, California governors, California's government decides what next to do. I don't know what next they can do. I mean, amputation? I don't know. They've tried everything, but that's the point. You can map states um, that have engaged in harsh measures against less harsh measures, and 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 you cannot find a, a, a universal theory of what works here. i got to take a break. You can stay another segment? Sure. Thanks. We'll be right back with more from Ariel Davidson. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have with us Ariel Davidson. You can follow her on Twitter at political l e l l e. One of my favorite political commentators and analysts. Ariel, on this issue that you were tweeting about this morning, and we were t- just talking about this issue of uh, putting safety above everything else, including social safety and, and social normalcy. Were you surprised looking back over the last, I don't know, whatever it is since March? Were you surprised with how quickly so many people fell in line with this and took the line of this? Yes and no. You know, I think there's a there's an unprecedented element to uh, the pandemic that I think it makes it it's unique because it's so invisible. 
it's unique in the sense we've never dealt with something like this before in my lifetime, and I, I argue yours as well. And so there is a way in which it is it is unprecedented. And I do think that um, I was a little bit perhaps surprised to the degree to which federalism was somewhat abandoned mm-hmm. in the sense that there were um, there was an expectation that universal restrictions would be applied across the board, and that's just not how our, our um, system is constructed. That's not how our republic is constructed. It's constructed in such a way to allow state and local governments to handle situations as they see fit. And so I think the, the, the sense that what works for New York is, gonna, is going to be what works for Florida, and this idea that because Florida was not doing what New York was doing, it was somehow engaging in reprehensible behavior, although all the numbers would indicate that Florida is performing far better right now than New York is. Yeah. And so that was a strange, I think that's what sort of disturbed me more was this idea that, um, you know, all of a sudden we just, we, we didn't, we were willing to abandon the principle of federalism. And, and I found that sort of surprising, I think, above all else. Yeah, that, but also in those two contrasts, we can expand it too, right? Cuomo was the hero. CNN would not cut away from his press conferences as they would the president's. Newsom was the hero, Christy Noam, Ron DeSantis, they're the goats, right? There's a political element to this, too, I think, and it begs oh, a, begs a little absolutely. bit about whether the media would, would be in the same position of the sirens and alarms and the excursions if Donald Trump weren't president. I, I, I can't help but thinking some of that way. Oh, of course not. I mean, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, some of the worst states, and yet they're not they don't receive nearly the level of censure that places like Florida and the Dakotas are getting. So we can, we can probably use for a short time about where that might be. And that really, that really helps nobody. Right. That type of, right. um, that type of coverage, because it doesn't reach us. It doesn't get us any closer to figuring out what restrictions do work and what restrictions don't. Right. It's the point of the media, you know, the media had a job these last nine months, right. It was they could have taken their job seriously and said, and really hunkered down uh, talk to some doctors, talk to some, you know, actual, you know, nonpartisan people and say, hey, you know, let's examine these states by state and say what, what restrictions are actually helping people and what, what don't seem to be helping people. And they could have done that, but instead they thought it was easier to just engage in, you know, partisan hackery and extol the virtues of Cuomo as, you know, thousands of uh, elderly citizens died in nursing homes. I mean, that, that to me was, was such a dropping of the ball in terms of journalistic integrity. They could have really come out of this and been heroes in some way um, and offered real cutting-edge analysis and offered insight about what was working and what wasn't, and, and they just didn't. Yeah. I mean, there was virtually no They, sen- they censored those that tried, and maybe, maybe, if it isn't too extreme for me to say this, maybe they saw their job as different. Maybe you and I see their job that way because we're romantic about media and journalism. Maybe they don't see their job that way anymore. Maybe they saw their job as getting Donald Trump unelected. Maybe that's what they saw oh, their job yeah. as. Okay. Oh, of course. That's yeah. the normative perspective, right? <laughs> okay. what's happening versus the normative of what should happen. Yeah. Uh, there's a big gap there. Yeah, yeah. Ariel, yeah. it's gosh, it's great catching up with you. It's been too long. That's my fault. Uh, we will. Uh, my resolution is to have you on more in 2021. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Seth. It's always a pleasure chatting with you, and I hope you, uh, your listeners all have a great evening. You betcha. Happy New Year, Ariel. Ariel Davidson, folks. Follow her on Twitter at political L. You want to do something good for yourself. Always, 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 every day I take a balance of nature. It'll improve your health. It'll boost your immunity. 
It is one daily dose that gives you tens of thousands of vital nutrients. I think it's the most effective whole food supplement on the market. They have a great deal right now offering free shipping, 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use discount code BALANCE. A bunch of my friends are now saying they take it first thing in the morning, first thing in the morning when they've had a rough or long night, which uh, happens a lot this time of year. And uh, boy, it kicks them right into gear, as it should. Balance of Nature. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Little uh, little Jimmy Buffett there. Um, one of the Hemingway girls was in that video for one particular Harborough. One of the which one was it? Was it Margot? I'm trying to remember. Anyway, oh, here's someone who I haven't talked to in a long time. Robin, surprise! Hi, Rob. Hi, Seth. Hope you had a great weekend. Yes, I sir. think it was Marielle, and I think it was Margot who committed suicide. Yeah, you might be right. I'm I'm trying yeah. to remember. Yeah. Yeah, I think I could be wrong. Also, I, I wanted to make an important uh, public announcement that Ariel Davidson, who I've been following, um, we need to, uh, if anybody's searching for her, she spells her first name E-R-I-E-L-L-E. Yes. In case anybody's Good looking point. for like A-R-I-E-L or Good something point. along those lines. Good point. Well, you know, I'm, I'm here to help. And by the way, I just... Help I just me with this. Say, yeah, go ahead. What's your, by the way, go well, ahead. Well, well, I I just love your show. Oh well, and thank I, you. I love your monologue, thank and you. I loved uh, you know your reference to P.J. O'Rourke, who you know really knocked you out of the park with his comment about us being the undisputed heavyweight champions in the world. Yeah, but we didn't take that advice. That's the well, problem. we we didn't do it, and the reason we didn't was that the, his comments were not widely publicized. Right, and had more people been able to read it instead of all of us, you know, wonky types. Well, at least you're a wonky type. I'm an autodidact at this point. Um, I think more people would understand it. Um, I think I'm an autodidact is not something someone who's not a wonk says. <laughs> okay, all right, you win. And but, I'll yeah. I'll go one further to prove I'm I'm not a wonk. Um, can you explain to my producer Bill that George Thorogood is a good musician? He disputes this fact with me. Well, I think George Thorogood was brought up in the bar scene in, I think, New Jersey and probably paid his dues for many, many years until I think he finally, you know, broke into uh, the mainstream with either Bad of the Bone or what was the other one that he played? Um, I saw him on Saturday Night Live once, and this was probably in the 80s. And a guy like that. Move it on over. Who do you love? I drink alone. One whiskey, one burb, one scotch, one beer. Fifteen million album sales. (laughs) Yeah, I think. uh, Well, Bill, you know, again, I I have a certain bond with Bill. I know, fellow Russian, I know, uh, fan, and and everything. But I I think uh, Thorogood was kind of brought up, sort of like. most of the bar bands that ended up, you know, succeeding and getting into the big time, uh, Thurgood especially, um, I don't know why. I don't know if it's because he was East Coast versus, you know, Midwest, where most probably don't make it as well, or the West Coast, where, you know, many musicians are very talented. But Thurgood, uh, I think, had a huge following. Um, yes. And I think he's, 
I think he's worth listening to because you know you. he rocks. Thank you. And I think there's there's a certain honesty in his words and the music. Um, and of course, I had no idea we were going to talk about. Short no, I'll tell you why PGO. I'm but, glad you brought up PGO Rook, though. I'll tell you why he was on my mind. Someone asked me on email. A listener asked me on email the other day to recommend a book for a friend of his who's a liberal to help explain conservatism. And, you know, immediately all these lights go off in my head. And But I wanted to think oh, about yeah. it, I, you know, and I asked another dear friend of mine what, you know, I gave him a list of like five books and he said, let me try one you don't have on your list. He said, why don't you give him a PGO Rourke book? Sometimes humor is a pretty good way to get into the other side. And I thought that was oh, pretty good that- advice. I think that's great advice, yeah. and I, I think, you know, to me, Parliament of Whores... That's the one he suggested, yeah. That's the one he suggested. Yeah. Um, I also think um, Radical Son by David Horowitz yeah. is another one. Yep, sure. Um, because because it's sort of... It really lays out, I think, the, in an even better way than uh, O'Rourke does, the, the conversion and the background and... Uh, but it's kind of like... It's witness, this generation's you know. witness, in a way. Yeah, uh, it's witness, yeah. but for well, maybe not this generation, but the previous generations witness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, yeah, but I agree with that. Yeah. Um, on Dan Balls, I think he's a hack. I think he shouldn't be taken seriously. Um, I don't think he's well educated, and I don't think he's wise, and he's just a typical, you know, anti-Trump, anti-Republican, anti-conservative, uh, progressive, and as a result, I never read him because it's so predictable. I know. Um, and you and I are totally in agreement. The problem is a lot of people take him seriously. Yeah, because there's still a lot of people reading the Washington Post. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And there are some things in the Post yeah. that are worth reading. But, you know, opinions by people who have no wisdom are are not worth reading. Right. Um, which brings me to Plato's Republic. Okay. And, and I think, you know, as I was and I've been rereading it um, and I never had a course in it. You know, because Naval Academy didn't teach it, and I'm sure they don't teach it now. And I think that's one of those books that must be taught. It must be taught, and it's not. Um, whether it's talking about, you know, the nature of justice. Yep. And, and what's great about the book, um, it's really all about Socrates mm-hmm. and, and those people that he's talked to mm-hmm. uh, about, you know, justice, what's just and unjust, mm-hmm. um, and the relationship of the individual to the state mm-hmm. and whether the state is just or unjust. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Socrates in a Socratic way, he doesn't give people the answer. He, he makes people think for themselves. Right. That's so what's many- so great about the book. And I think it's one of the five most important books in the Western canon um, by far. Oh, I, maybe, I maybe top it. three even because it makes you think about these very questions. No one wants to think about and because it's not taught, I think that's one of the biggest problems I agree that we've with had that. academically and intellectually in the last 40 years. I agree with that. Really- and I gave you short shrift here because we, uh, but, uh, and I got to hit the break. Can you call back tomorrow oh, on this? I, I want to pursue this Absolutely. with you tomorrow. And uh, we have okay. some others who I didn't get to. I have a concluding thought on my short segment at the end here, but we'll be back tomorrow. And you call back tomorrow and we'll get right to you. I appreciate it. I love that. Everything from George Thorogood describes this show. To a T, perfectly. Thorogood, Plato. That's what we do. All in one segment. We'll be right back.
some other time. You know, it'd be a fun conversation. Not today. Um, some other time. What musician most represents the soundtrack of your life? And the reason I was thinking about that, that's a George Harrison song being done by Paul Simon, of course, a beautiful way. I've, I've just been listening to more and more Paul Simon lately. Anyway, I wanted to wrap up the show. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to get on today, I apologize. Call tomorrow. We'll put you right on. Um, speaking of the conversation I had with Brandon, the one I had with Ariel, I wanted to give the latest uh, way I think COVID should be reported based on the CDC's numbers out today. There have been 238-plus million COVID tests, over 238 million COVID tests in the United States. 20.3 million were positive. That leaves 218 million that were negative. 218 million that were negative. About 8% positivity rate. We are tracking at 342,000 reported deaths with COVID. That gives you a death rate as a percent of positive tests of 1.7%. Gives you a death rate as a percentage of all tests at one-tenth of a percent. In a population of 331 million, that gives you a mortality rate of one-tenth of 1%, which gives you a chance of not dying of 99.9%. I just think it would be a different country if we reported it more along those lines. Always have. God bless you all. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Leibson, class dismissed.